So for me, the use of data is how to calibrate government, how to personalize government, how to Amazon government, how to visualize government in order to produce a responsive city that induces trust. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear weekly podcast. I'm Amin Ramashariki, Esri Urban Analytics Lead, and I'll be your host for today. That was Stephen Goldsmith, a professor at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, an expert in the rise and significance of smart cities, and today's guest. Here, Esri CMO Mariana Cantor discover how the former deputy mayor of New York City believes data and technology, especially location technology, can be used to solve problems in government. Steve, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for your time. In your recent book, The Responsive City, Engaging Communities Through Data Smart Government, um, you talk about the use of technology to, to engage and serve citizens better. What are some of your key conclusions? We're now kind of living in a world where there's great cynicism and distrust in government. And even though local government and state government, where I'm from, has a higher level of trust than the federal government in the U.S., it's still pretty low in sinking. So, so then you step back and say, well, why is that? And it, it's because citizens don't think they're getting the right bargain for their dollars or they don't see what they're getting for their tax dollars. So now the question becomes, you know, how, how do I deliver services in a more uh, nuanced, in a more personal way, in a more responsive way for what our residents or citizens need? And when they see that when they receive those services, their trust level goes up. I'm curious why you chose to focus on cities specifically. I could claim that it's a result of a you know, great research experiment. Actually, it was because I was a mayor and a deputy mayor. And I think that at the city level, city and county level, at the municipal level, there's not this hyper-partisan uh, disagreement. You have a very practical assignment. Make somebody's neighborhood better. What are the tools I use to make that neighborhood better? How do I engage the public in a constructive way in making their neighborhood better? So I focus on cities because I think that's where the action is, and I think that's where you can make the greatest difference. Would you say that the attitude towards technology has changed over the last decade or so in the government? So I, I think the attitude has changed, but I think the technology has changed. I mean, I was a mayor back in the dark ages, you know, somewhere in the 18th century, and then I was a deputy mayor, and I left probably five plus years ago. In the last five years, the technology breakthroughs have been just breathtaking. And the problems that now can be solved with technology are, were unimaginable. I mean, 10 years ago, let alone five years ago. You know, I run this project at Harvard called Data Smart City Solutions, where we tell, where we tell stories about political and, and agency leaders who have used technology to solve a problem. So I, and, we're, and each month we have more and more readers, which means more and more people are using technology to solve problems. So I think the appetite is there. Uh, I think the tools are there. And then finally, as a result of uh, cloud computing, you can actually take the discoveries that City A has made and apply them to your city with a, with a minimal amount of tinkering, right? So cloud computing, mobile tools, and these uh, ability to move apps across kind of a platform have lowered the uh, the barriers to take up in mid and small sized cities, which makes technology available and usable for everyone. Steve, could you give us some examples of cities uh, undergoing digital transformation and specifically what kind of challenges they face and what kind of meaningful outcomes they see? I mean, there are examples everywhere that are really exciting. I mean, they're very fundamental examples like Los Angeles with its geo hub. Right, so how you visualize open data 
and how you visualize it so that not just the public can see it, but agency one can see what's happening in agency two. Take, uh, you know, their vision zero maps for pedestrian safety and the like. So, so that all of that combination of open data and GeoHub in LA is a great example. New York City has done like lots of important things. The New York City Police Department has an ability to, to generate high quality, very important predictive information to an individual street officer in real time. I mean, and they have a billion records and they can send those to a, 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 a cell phone so that the officer can use those to figure out what's unusual in his or her, uh, her beat. Uh, New Orleans uh, has had such dramatic increases in use of data to identify uh, where blighted houses are, to identify which, uh, which homes should get smoke detectors because they're most likely to burn down. Uh, there are cities that are using in Georgia... Uh, uh, IoT sensors, Internet of Things sensors, to predict kind of flooding, and in other places, uh, sensors are used for uh, purposes of determining where there's leaks in, in water pipes. So, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, uh, midwestern city, not not that big, but a but a, you know medium-sized city like Indianapolis. Uh, terrific mayor, interested in performance, but has an innovation team and a chief data officer, and using data to. Uh, to measure very carefully the performance of his, uh, of his employees in, in a very serious way. So for me, the use of data is how to calibrate government, how to personalize government, how to Amazon government, how to visualize government in order to produce a responsive city that induces trust. Do you advocate um, having a digital officer on staff? Yes, I do. Um, I also think that it's dangerous if it's if it's that person is thought about as the person responsible for advancing a, a digital blueprint. So you need to have somebody who reports to the mayor who gets that stuff together, who come up, who identifies the platform and how to layer it on. But you also want to have people in each agency who are asking questions of the data. What if I did that this way? What if I? How do I identify the outliers so I can spend my money on what really makes a difference? So. Yes, you need a chief data officer, but then you need uh, data literacy training to encourage people throughout the government to use those tools more often. Some of our listeners are going to be mayors. What kind of advice would you give them in leading this type of transformation in their districts? So I don't think you can uh, get elected mayor, county executive, or rally the public around follow me, I've got a cool piece of technology, right? It just doesn't feel like that's going to motivate a lot of people. So, so and, and the work I've done in cities across the U.S. Uh, in the last couple years, those uh, executives, either agency level or elected, who are successful are ones who say, all right, I'm going to find a set of problems and I'm going to dramatically improve the way our government responds to those problems through using technology. In other words, saw, find the problem then solve it, as contrasted to go through this long effort to kind of figure out where our data is and create some enterprise applications and so solve the problems and then do those in a very meaningful way. And then I think also what uh, would be good for a lot of mayors and county executives is to say basically, what is the narrative that we're trying to tell? What, what is, what, when we're finished with 
module A, B, and C, or project one through 10. What is it we're trying to accomplish, right? Is it building a better neighborhood? Is it a more responsive city? Is it, you know, making it easier to live in our city? Is it having a reputation for a data smart city so people will invest money in our city? What is it? And then build out that narrative. Could we talk a little bit about IoT, advanced analytics? Uh, would you say there is literacy in the government uh, to begin to understand how to apply these technologies? Well, there are a lot of new technologies, and the data literacy and technology literacy varies reasonably dramatically across the world um, and in, inside the U.S. And the more sophisticated data analytics work, uh, not very many cities can do. Now, the good news on that work is that more and more cities have partnerships with local universities that are provide, providing the kind of data science that they need. And we have a project at Harvard with, uh, in conjunction with the University of Chicago data scientists that provide support to 20-some cities. But um, there's a long way to go. And if you think about it, it's, it's, there's so many new technologies, right? So how do we use uh, mobile to in, improve the information available to the street worker or the inspector, right? How do we use analytics? How do we use mapping and visualization? So I think we're making progress. I think there's been fairly dramatic progress in the last two or three years, really more than ever before. And I think I could say unequivocally, having been in this business for a long time, that this is probably the most important moment in a century to change, fundamentally change the way government works. Why is that? Well, because 100 plus years ago, uh, mayors were corrupt, right? So then um, the way that after Tammany Hall, we solved the problem with corruption as we eliminated discretion, right? You can't abuse discretion if you don't have any discretion. So then everybody worked in this little hierarchical command and control box, and they were told what to do. Now, in a digital world, which has really exploded over the last several years, information is everywhere. Information is available immediately. And so you, can, you know what your employees are doing, and you can give them discretion. So the reason it's the most important time in 100-plus years is because the technology is so dramatically better and because we now have the ability actually to remove our workers from those tiny little boxes we put them in with no discretion, give them discretion, and manage their discretion through those digital tools. I'm curious what got you turned on to technology coming out as a politician in the beginning of your career? Uh, several things. I've been at it for a long time. I made, I probably made more mistakes in technology than than, well, anyway, because I've been, because I'm so old, but, um, so years ago, my first job was prosecutor, district attorney, and in the Midwest, prosecutors, um, are responsible for collecting child support, so every welfare mom was my client, so to speak, I collected child, uh, child support for single moms, well, you know, we did a bunch of conventional stuff, and then I real, then I, I took two crusty old sheriff's deputies and I put them in a room and said, just stop driving around looking for people. Just get every piece of data you can find and let's see what happens, right? So if the guy owes child support and he has a fishing license, find that out and let's, we'll, we'll go seize his fishing license or his car or his whatever, right? And collections went from 900,000 to 38 million, right? And it, we didn't hire any more employees. We just used the data better. And I did the same thing when I was a DA on, in criminal justice and, and then, then the like. So for me, uh, it's the ability to get people much more productive and excited about their work through using data. The results are quite dramatic. 
How does your research about cities translate to business? What lessons can business leaders learn from today's cities? I think large bureaucratic organizations have a lot in common. Um, you know, if you, if you call your utility and you finally get through that IVR voice thing, if you don't have a question for which they have a pre-ordained, organized answer, you're just like trapped in this thing, right? Because they're large bureaucracies, they have a set of rules, they're going to treat everybody alike, and if you are an exception and you don't fit, you're just, you're going to wander in the desert for a long time, right? So I, I think that's true of both sets of bureaucracies. So the question becomes, you know, how do you, in, in a large organization, make sure you're treating people fairly, but you're also able to personalize and individualize the services they get at the same time? The data tools allow us to do that. You know, the data tools in mapping allow us to say, are we uh, delivering services equitably and fairly everywhere in our city, by neighborhood, by race, by income, right? So if you are a public leader, then you have to create this story, this narrative. You have to use maps or whatever. You have to use whatever visuals you have to describe to people why, why your city needs to be better, right? Why does it need new economic development? Why does it need a new, uh, to borrow $500 million for new streets, right? What, what is it that you're trying to create? So, so, so one issue is kind of how do you motivate people, right? How do you motivate them? The bigger the change, the more difficult obviously it is to do and the more people are against you and the, and the more important the story is. What would you say your predictions are for cities in the future? Well, we have different trends going on that are a bit complicated. Cities are pretty hot places. People are moving into cities more rapidly than ever before, and they're going to continue to move into cities. So the cities that are livable are going to be pretty exciting places to live. They're going to have a lot of creative people. Um, but at the same time, that creates demand for uh, more effective services, more equitable services, we need to be able to understand uh, income disparity, why it's happening, where it's happening, how we're going to solve those problems. So my prediction is that uh, the tools to run a city operationally will be dramatic and better than ever before. The challenges will be greater because the numbers of people. What excites you the most about our time? I've been a government official for like 30 years, right, to try to make somebody's life better. That's why you get elected to do these jobs. But it's one thing to try to do it with, you know, stacks of paper and old information. Today, right, you know where your employees are. You have GPS. You know what they've accomplished. You can evaluate what's caused somebody to be homeless. You have the tools to make a, a wonderfully dramatic difference in your city. That's what excites me. Where is your work taking you next? I, I write uh, blogs and journals, you know, on a regular basis, but... And I do work with cities around the U.S., but I'm, I'm, I'm working on kind of a, a, a book for late this year that, that basically will look at how could you change the way government operates, right? Because today government doesn't take full advantage of the technology tools because its organization is out of date. And so I'd like to cure that and hope to have that cured by the end of the year. Here, here. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And thanks to Stephen Goldsmith for sharing powerful examples of cities embracing data-driven decision-making and leading digital transformation of government at the local level. 
He also talked about the importance of mapping, visualization, and data science as a way to unlock the potential of data to solve complex problems and transform the way government operates. To learn more, download our ebook, Making Sense of Digital Transformation, at esri.com forward slash where. To keep current with new interviews, visit our podcast page at esri.com forward slash podcast.